30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Religions tend to have two faces. One is the exoteric, or public face of the religion, that the masses participate in. The other is the esoteric, the hidden, secret truth shared only with those who have passed through the proper initiation. For most of human history, gaining access to the esoteric took serious dedication. One had to join a monastic order, follow a guru, or seek out a rare arcane tome, almost certainly written in an obscure language. You couldn't just Google secret teachings. But now, you can. With the occult trending and the New York Times writing every other week about witches entering the mainstream, it's never been easier to access the esoteric. From vapable DMT to astrology apps, the veil between the material world and the mystical is now cellophane thin. Rather than struggling to find those once rare and seriously demanding entry points into the occult, modern seekers risk being swept away by a digital deluge of chakra charts, neo-pagan think pieces, and ritual magic podcasts. Thus, the challenge facing spiritual seekers in the early 21st century is not quenching our thirst, but keeping our head above water. Making sense of this teeming multitude of ideas and inputs while keeping our feet firmly on the path of personal growth is a challenge akin to squeezing a camel through the eye of a needle. Our guest today, Jennifer Sodini, is someone who's not merely treading water in this river of esoteric information, but water skiing behind her own magical motorboat. Jen is the founder of Evolve and Ascend, an online esoteric platform and social media community dedicated to parsing these not-so-secret teachings of all ages. While her roots dig deep into our mystical past, her branches spread out and up into an unknowable future, offering a vision that's as much based in love and hope as it is an acknowledgement of the challenges of transformation and growth. So as we approach a new decade, one that promises to be far weirder than anything that's come before, it feels like a perfect time to learn how to evolve and ascend. Well, hello, Jen. Well, hello there, Devin. <laughs> Welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. What's our magic word going to be? Love. Love. One, two, three. Love. love. Amazing. Now, is love the answer or is love all there is? Love is all there is. Love is all there is. Why did you pick love? Because I think love is a word that um, is very nebulous at times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my whole life goal has been to look at love as a state of being, as a state of consciousness, and not necessarily this thing to attain. Mm -hmm. And love is this thing, this energy that can be channeled 
coming to understand that I think can really help us grow and evolve and open our hearts. The idea of it being more of a, of a, a journey than it is a destination and, yes. a, and a resting place. Exactly. I think that's great because that's one of the things I've always thought about with our, our culture of romantic comedies is they tell this origin story. Like every rom-com is an origin story and then they get to the moment when they're like, we've now acknowledged our love. The end, credits roll, when it's like, nope, that's when love starts and you have to figure out how to maintain it and keep it going and engage with it. Exactly. I can't I can't remember who sung the song, but there's a song that's about love as a building. Ooh. And it's so good. It's such a good good metaphor because yeah. it's this thing that's constantly being built upon and where the foundation is is like you said, just where it begins. But I mean, growing up with the Disney dilemma where it's like, Now my prince has come and I've found this thing and I have this thing, but then what? <laughs> I love that. The Disney dilemma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's all kinds of love. It's not always just romantic love. There's there's kind of cosmic love and there's interpersonal love. Creative love. Creative love. Yeah. yeah. That's great. So how does love express itself through you? Oh, that's a good question. That's the only kind we ask you. <laughs> we ask good questions and then we ask me fumbling for the next question, trying to pull something out of my ass. But we only ask those two kinds. Perfect. So I think it mostly is something that I strive to be this consistent state of being. So being a human and the inevitable foibles of being in a human body were presented with challenge, adversity, triumph or tragedy sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. that you must triumph over. But if we can always go to love as an anchor point for how you react or how you embody, it's this magical tool that we can use. I also have this, I'm of the school of thought where I think that um, the highest form of spirit into being is creativity. Mm -hmm. And when you're creating from a space of love and that pure heart space, what you're creating creates a ripple. Oh, I like that. I think I, I'm not going to be able to quote it well enough, but there was something that I think I got from Joseph Campbell, who got it from Thomas More, something like that. But it was the idea that what you love about something is its flaws because perfection is the, the uncarved marble and you like the thing that is different and unique about it. And I think with creativity, it's similar where you actually, you know, you start with that blank sheet of paper and you have to love the mistakes that you're making trying to get that idea out because it doesn't just plop fully, fully formed into existence. Completely. And even there's this Japanese concept called kintsugi, Ooh. which I think I, I, I've kind of used as the word for the last year. Yeah. So it's the idea of, so if you broke a piece of pottery, the object's brokenness then becomes part of its history. And instead of discarding it, you repair the object with gold. So you take where the cracks are and fill it with gold, and then it becomes a new thing. Right. Oh, I like that. There's another one that's an Italian word, uh, sprezzatura. Ooh. And it's a fashion concept where if your fashion is like totally immaculate, then it's kind of boring. It's kind of like too safe. So you have to throw a little a little salt in your own game. So it would be like someone in an immaculate suit who then has these crazy pink socks because they, they need something that just kind of throws it off a little bit. Yeah, that's it's funny. It's a synchronous uh topic too so having this conversation recently with a friend walking around Brooklyn and mm. how much I love grit mm. and when something's too tame or too sterile I'm so uncomfortable and perfection actually is this thing that's kind of like mm, that's not interesting yeah I I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast so forgive me if I'm for me long time listeners if I'm repeating an anecdote but 
when it comes to perfection, what I always think is about is this book, How to Be a Perfect Person in Just 10 Days. Do you remember this? I've never read it. So there was two. There was one that was like How to Be a Millionaire in Just X Days, and the other one was How to Be a Perfect Person. And they're both really meta because the, it's like a young adult book. And the main character wants to be perfect. That's what he's obsessed with. And he finds a book in the book called How to Be a Perfect Person in Just 10 Days. That's like a weird new age self-help book. But then is kind of addressed to him in particular. And as he's reading it, it like knows stuff about him that's really unnerving. So he starts doing the exercises and it gets weirder and weirder. And then it reaches this peak when he has this fever dream transportation thing. And he goes to this empty movie theater and everyone is sitting in rows, staring at the blank screen, drinking weak tea. And these are the perfect people. Because to be perfect, you can't take any risks. You can't do anything um, that might damage your perfectness. And the only thing you can then do is drink weak tea in this empty movie theater. <laughs> and so he learns the valuable lesson of not trying to be perfect and embracing the... That sounds amazing. It's great. Yeah. I know. I need to reread it at some point because I think about it all the time. It'd be a good movie. I mean, yeah. To, yeah. to sit at an empty movie theater and drink weak tea too. <laughs> You have your, your your cult screening parties already worked out for you. You just don't even play the movie. That's what just comes. <laughs> it's uh you know performance art at that point. Yeah, but that's like the vibe when you hang out with like the cool kids. You know who I'm talking about, and it's like everyone's so cool that no one's actually having a good time. Yeah, everybody's so concerned about how they're being perceived that they can't even be be present. Yeah. It's, I don't want that. I, no. I love hanging with the weirdos and the, the, the outliers weirdos, of the society. wizards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Getting, getting into that irreducible rascality is yeah. Alan Watts called it. I love that. Yeah. I never heard that one from him either. Oh yeah. I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's a fun one where it's just that idea of no matter what you're trying to do, however you're trying to follow the guru's instructions, you're still going to be a little bit of a shit. You're still <laughs> going to, you know, eat the forbidden fruit or stray off the path or, fuck the person you're not supposed to yeah i think it was even chogyong trumpa was talking about how like fuck is one of the most useful words in the english language um oh yeah you know like even the guru there's no guru like there's nobody's attained this christ consciousness that's without fault well every time we think that we found someone like that we just set ourselves up to read about the most insane abusive sex scandal ever yeah or even the guy the the bikram yoga guy oh yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah. Yeah. Nexium, like yeah. you know, the list is very long. It's very hard to find a list of gurus who have not ended up in some ill repute. Yeah. How did you get into this world of of love and truth and mystery and magic? Well, ironically, it came from a lot of um a lot of loss. Mm. So my mentor and my initiate initiator into occult realities was my grandmother. Um, my grandmother, her mother was in the female Freemasonry. So it's the Order of the Eastern Star, which I actually didn't find out until recently, which is crazy. Yeah. But my grandmother was always interested in the occult and non-conforming. She hated the Catholic Church and she read Crowley. Mm -hmm. you know, I have her copy of Crowley's Magic with all her highlighted notes. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but for her, she always was just had this strong opinion about not conforming and to use your mind, to use your imagination, to use your creativity and art and culture was of the utmost importance to her. Mm -hmm. But she had this Oracle card deck that is of unknown origins to this day. I don't know where she got it from because she passed when I was 12. But when I was eight years old, she taught me how to read Oracle cards, which was really just helping me flex my intuition. 
Um, she sadly, she died when I was 12, but having that, um, container of nonconformity and being able to look at the world with a greater lens and to not be afraid of my intuition really spearheaded my quest to seek more. And I think really death too was a catalyst to kind of understand why I'm even here and what these dreams I have mean and what's it's all, what it's all about. You got the like spiritual seeker starter kit right there. You got death and loss and you've got intuition and then you've got mystic lineages. That is amazing. Yeah. Well, just tell me about this Oracle deck that she had. So, uh, the closest deck that we've found to compare it to is like a Leah Norman style deck. Um, your listeners may be familiar with it, but my grandmother's deck, (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving you just this big old blank stare. (laughs) So there are 33 cards and there are actually some missing. So I've had this since I was eight. I don't know where she got it. You have a copy of hers. I have it. I have her copy. Yeah. Yeah. There. I wish I brought them. I should have in hindsight, but they are just so worn and ragged and they're all these different symbols. So there are 33, like I said, Mm. but some missing and the cards will be, say, a pair of bees or a person looking to the left, a person looking to the right. And the way that they work is that they're different than tarot cards, which, you know, tarot cards are 78 cards which explore the major and minor arcana, mm-hmm. basically this blueprint of the soul into form. Oracle cards are more of a Rorschach test. So when you shuffle this deck and you pull cards, you see how these symbols can relate and tell a story. Cool. Do they have little titles? Because I've seen the modern New Age ones where it's like serenity and wisdom and holy mother and they all have the or it's, it's more abstract them. it's completely abstract so oh, if you saw great. it it's uh, a manila color mm-hmm. on the uh, back the back is actually it looks like a fortune teller just yeah. pulling cards and then on the front of the card i'm having a dyslexic moment where you'd read it from yeah. rather is manila and then it will just be say a person's face looking to the right and then a number underneath it and then it's up to your intuition to see how that relates It's very interesting. Oh, I like that. And how did your grandmother teach you to read these? What was the process? So we'd sit at her kitchen table and she'd have me put them all face down on the table and then pull up cards one at a time and pull up, say, four at a time. And she'd say, okay, what story are these cards telling? The cards are all face down and you'd pick four four randomly. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's cool. I like that. Rather than letting the deck shuffle, you're really just going with you. Completely. So that was her way of doing it. So we'd we'd flip them over and say, well, what story are they telling? And then I would just look at them. So say if I pulled um, a ship crossing a sea and then letters and then um, a life life raft and a woman looking to the right, what I'd say is that I, it feels like these cards are talking about a journey, a journey that's been long awaited, that you've been waiting for the right time to arrive to embark on this quest, but you're worried if you're going to be safe when you arrive. Mm-hmm. So where you're looking towards is away from what's in front of you because you're so concerned with safety. So that's how I would read the way those cards fall. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And then now you've made your own Oracle deck. You're, the, pra- the practice continues through you. Yeah. Um, talk about synchronicity. So to honor my grandmother and these cards that have been part of my life for so long, I've always wanted to create an Oracle deck of my own. And when I started my media platform, Evolve and Ascend, it was mm-hmm. the summer of 2013. And back then there wasn't that many people talking about the things that we're talking about or people artists making decks Mm -hmm. everything that existed at the time felt very um beige or just Mm -hmm. not really uh something that spoke to the artist my artistic sensibilities so i'd always had this desire to create something that tickled the art mind but also helped you tap further into intuition 
So in the summer of 2013, I start my media platform, Evolve and Ascend, but I also have this dream while I'm in Costa Rica. And in the dream, I wake up and I look down a hallway. I see a being. The being pulls out a scale with a feather and a heart and tells me that there is no alien. There is no other. There's no separate. All that matters in this life is that your heart is as light as this feather. At that point, I have never read the Egyptian Book of the Dead. I journaled the dream, Googled it when I got back home, and come to find out this is actually how your soul is measured in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Wow. The weight of your soul is measured by your heart, and if your heart is as light as the feather of Ma'at, or some will pronounce it Mayet, Mm -hmm. she's the netter or goddess of truth, justice, balance. If your heart is as light as hers, you can pass on to the next life. But if you live heavy hearted, you're devoured by Amit, which is like a crocodile chimera demon and yeah. you start all over. <laughs> Ooh. But that concept came to me then. And then thinking about creating an Oracle deck, I wanted to weave that concept into the deck I created because so much of my journey has been about coming to terms with death. Mm-hmm. What does life really look like? How do you maintain a light heart when you're met with such density? So uh, in 2017, I finally decided to go for it because I found an artist, Natalie Miller, on Instagram. And the second I saw her art, I was like, this is my partner. This is who I'm working with. And funny enough, we took a call and it was just like flow, everything Mm -hmm. flow. And uh, originally we were going to self-publish, but then into the project, we started having all these crazy psychic synchronicities. So the way we worked is that as an artist and a creative I hate nothing more than somebody telling me how something's supposed to look or Mm -hmm. giving direction. So I trusted her enough to say, okay, I'm going to write out the definition of each card. I want you to draw how it makes you feel. Great. So every time we'd be having like high fives over the phone, just being like, I can't believe you drew this or I can't believe you wrote this. That's the joy of collaboration. I I think is like, there's a, there's a thing that exists that's in between either person and no one has the full piece. Completely. So I'm, I'm always Trying to be the best collaborator, possibly the most frustrating collaborator, <laughs> but I'm not the auteur. Whenever I'm working with someone, I'm like, I don't know what it's supposed to sound like. If I did, I would be the musician. I'm just going to keep trying to describe something and we'll find it together. And we'll, let's. The more we enjoy that process, the better we'll find the thing. Completely. And the better the thing, then whatever it is that manifests Mm -hmm. how it comes to be because if it's something that's met with flow instead of resistance or instead of being like well you didn't do this right i feel like that takes away from the energy of the project yeah yeah you fiddle with it you mess with it too much and then it comes out kind of um yeah you can like 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 when like food you know when someone's like you can tell when they've like gone back and they're like oh it wasn't cooked all the way i need to like add more water and more seasoning and totally trying to get it Yeah. yeah but yeah so um as we're having these psychic synchronicities and working on the project, I was then gifted a trip to Egypt in the middle of it. Would you get it off the back of a box of charms? (laughs) Um, There's heart stars and sphinxes. (laughs) That should be a cereal. I would love it. Um, Now, Nassim Harriman, he has a company called the resonance Academy and he's basically like a modern Tesla Mm. and they just needed more media exposure for this trip. So they offered me a trip in exchange for, writing about it wow so yeah that was pretty a trip wild. to egypt is worth a thousand words <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah god it was priceless i mean i can't even believe that it happened but yeah then when i got back from that basically we we're like well let's try for a publishing deal and one thing led to another got a literary agent got a publishing deal and here we are in That's the world so cool. yeah. i had no idea that literary agents were the ones that handled oracle decks yeah because there's writing on the back that gives some 
Additional information or how does that work? Well, um, so Corey Allen, who is a dear friend of mine, he had a book come out around the same time I'm working on a mentee. And I had asked him if he worked with a literary agent. He's like, yeah, she's amazing. I'll connect mm-hmm. you. And he connected us over email. And she, I was actually her first Oracle card deck yeah. because she's like, well, I don't really know that much about that, but I, I, I'll do it. So the way it worked is uh, the book has 30,000 words and then there's 42 cards. Gotcha. So Why 42? Because there are 42 ideals of Ma'at and 42 uh, synchronously is uh the answer to life the according to everything. yeah, yeah. <laughs> according to deep thought yeah. yeah when we uh when we did the initial podcast recording i made a joke that i didn't i was like oh, i don't know how many people are in this room right now let's say 42 and as soon as i finished talking two different people came up to me they're like we counted it's 42 there was 42 people in this room and i was like wow that was, that was <laughs> see you don't know what you don't know yeah it's a magical number yeah Wow. So let's talk about Evolve and Ascend. Yeah. 2013, back before, I mean, things were still spooky, but I think that was before the occult has really been trending more recently. Um, so where did this come from and how did you how did you get involved? So um, it came from, again, a series of weird synchronicities. I feel like that's going to be your answer to all my questions. Yeah, synchronicity. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when December 21st, 2012 was happening, mm-hmm. I was working for a pop culture blog. And I stumbled on it when I was researching viral content and I started reading all the stuff about the Mayan calendar, the 13th Bach tune. Then I started listening to What's Terrence the 13th McKenna. Bach tune? Like when the calendar ends. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then Terrence McKenna started talking about it at the time as time wave zero, mm-hmm. like the singularity. And I started having all of these crazy awakenings happen. So it was doing something, the idea, oh, maybe the world's ending. And then who is Terrence McKenna? And then all the weird stuff happened with Superstorm Sandy and then Sandy Hook. And I started to think that I was going crazy. Cause I'm like, I, all this stuff that my grandmother used to talk about is now coming back into my consciousness. Mm-hmm. All this fear of things ending was starting to really just take, take me over pretty much. And then I found the work of Daniel Pinchbeck and he had a documentary called 2012 time for change. And when I watched it, it did something to me because he was saying it's not necessarily apocalypse as an end. Apocalypse means a revelation of truth. Mm. And everything that was happening at that point, the chaos was all to bring order, the seeing behind the veil of what was really going on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a series of psychedelic journeys led me to really realize that I was not living the life that I had hoped for. I was asleep in this dream that I thought thought was what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and you I were working up, in media. And, yeah, and I was working in pop culture. I was in an unhappy relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like, this isn't who I am. This isn't who I wanted to grow up to be. So I left it all behind. And then I went down to Costa Rica for a retreat that Daniel was hosting where I had that dream. Mm-hmm. Then after the dream, I had. Is this a psychedelic retreat? Yeah. Oh, how did I was. guess? <laughs> I worked with ayahuasca, mm-hmm. and when I came back, I just knew that I had to take everything that I learned from working in media, and then to create media that I really wanted to see exist in the world. And after my dad had died in 2006, mm-hmm. my first tattoo I got on my left wrist, and it was "Evolve" as mm-hmm. a word, as to just keep moving forward. Yeah. And then after everything happened in 2012 and then leaving everything, changing, I wanted to get another tattoo as a mile marker for where I had been going. So I got a send. 
And then when I came back and was thinking about, well, what do I want to call this media platform I want to create? And I just looked down at my wrists. There you go. There you go. That's really funny. Um, I got I got a tattoo of a wizard when I was 24. And that was like my first like real professional tattoo that I went and got. You know, that wasn't somebody with a, a, a needle and a, a jar of India ink. And then I eventually became a wizard. And I like, you know, didn't realize that at the time. But I think those those things we carve into our skin. I wonder if there's a bunch of emo guys out there that are like becoming nautical stars. It's <laughs> like their next Pokemon evolution. It's like their next Pokemon evolution. Yeah, exactly. But I think yeah. there's something to that for sure. And a bunch even... of girls that are like blurry fairies with like a, a faded cursive baby name. Or Tweety Birds. Yeah. <laughs> How many Tweety there's, Birds? There's, I've definitely met yeah guys that look like they're a Tasmanian devil giving the finger. <laughs> It is funny, though, that you got it at 24. So I don't know how adept you are at numerology. But 2442. Four, two. Oh, I got that. Yeah, yeah, because they both reduce down to a six. Ooh. And six is the on the Kabbalah tree of life. It's mm. like the heart of the tree. Oh. It's giving birth to what is yet to come. Wow. So How fortuitous. Yeah. There's yeah. something to that. I just I just thought about it a lot where I was looking at other people and I was like, man, how did other people figure out their tattoos? It's like very 24 year old angst. I'm yeah. like, what am I? Who am I? And then I was like, what if I just get a tattoo of a wizard? And my brain was like, yep, there you go. And then I, I had this phrase, I believe in you, your magic is real, that I knew from a an album by the band Yacht. And I was like, oh, that'd be great. And it wasn't until a much longer, I'd had the tattoo for years, that someone was like, that's a David Blaine quote or no, that's a, that's a Michael Jackson quote talking about David Blaine at like the MTV music video awards. And I like looked it up and it's totally true. It's this rambling speech that Michael Jackson gives and he has, he goes, and finally, this is for you, David Blaine. I believe in you. Your magic is real. And I was like, even better. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. David Blaine. Where'd he go? I think he's still in a box of ice somewhere. <laughs> I hope he's doing, he's right. doing a stunt that no one's paying attention to. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Mm. He's, he works hard for it. Yeah. Yeah. So Evolve and Ascend has evolved and ascended. It's it, grown since 2013. It has. What has that process been like? Oh, man. Talk about love. Mm -hmm. Labors of love and really flowing with the heart. So when I started, I had no idea what I was doing. And I had never built a website Ironically, the ex that I left was a computer programmer, software engineer. He could have built me the <laughs> website of my dreams. <laughs> but I was like, ah, what am I doing? Yeah. So I started my site on Squarespace. Ooh, yeah. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I started it there and then just started writing and just started putting content out that I wanted to see exist in the world. And then I started reaching out to people that I wanted to work with. And I said, listen, if you ever need content, I'd love to give you content in exchange for exposure because I'm really trying to grow. And one of the people I wound up reaching out to was a company called Time Wheel. Mm -hmm. And as fate would like have that, it. Like the Robert Jordan book series? Uh, no, that's the Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. Yeah. But it, there's probably something to do with it. I think it was yeah. more of a, the Buddhist reference to like Kala Chakra. And, uh, yeah. But um. The founder of Time Wheel wound up working for DMT, The Spirit Molecule, which was one of the documentaries that was right. part of my path. Yeah. And he saw at at that time, one of the things I could figure out fast of how to grow was Twitter. So he saw my Twitter and he's like, well, I'd love to help you with content. 
that like how did you grow your Twitter to be this big? I was like, well, if you teach me how to do Twitter, or if I teach you how to do Twitter, will you teach me how to do Facebook? Yeah. And then he taught me how to grow Facebook. And then I started creating an ecosystem of creators and creatives where it was literally the share economy where it's like, what do you need? How can I share and how can I support it? And then we all just started to grow from that place. That's so fascinating. I, I, I for a long time have thought that these these entities and the way that we relate to them, the Facebooks and the Twitters, it's very magical. I think there's definitely some dark magic elements to it too, because again, not all deities are just there. Happy to help. No. Let's just sign a bargain. <laughs> it's nothing in it for me, of course. It's just all goodwill. But yeah, it's so funny that we have these logos that we relate to and then that um, connects us to other people and there's this art and magic and mystery of like, how do you grow on these platforms? Totally. And yeah. the funny thing is with Evolve and Ascend, speaking of logos, so when I designed the logo for Evolve and Ascend, it's a pyramid with an all-seeing eye and the infinity symbol. And Classic. there is a moon, half moon with a star mm-hmm. and the ohm. And you have no you idea. You got it all in there. All of it in there. Yeah. So I'm like, I want this to be basically cosmic consciousness. Yeah. I have no idea how many people reach out and say, are you the Illuminati? Can I get in? Are you Satanist? I'm like, oh my gosh, no. <laughs> well, you brought up the Masons earlier with your, your mother. That's one of the things that's so fascinating is like the Illuminati and the Masons were like, radically individualist not anarchist but like very the historic politics they were the ones that were fighting against kings and tyranny they were the ones that were like promoting individual liberty and then somehow that narrative has been flipped and now it's the idea of like oh the masons or the illuminati they're the ones controlling everything yeah that's that's the problem with propaganda i guess and i don't know i mean really when you look at our founding fathers and the declaration of independence everything in that was to create a sovereign being to have your rights freedom of speech Mm -hmm. you know what a radical idea back then and that's on the minds of the masons and and that's where it all came from yeah Yeah, there was a there was an amazing exhibit of masonic art at the american folk art museum here in new york and i was just blown away because there's all the different props and rituals and backdrops. And I was like, this is how you transmit information that you don't want to get lost. If you have information that you really don't want to get lost, you can't just put in a book because then people like me will like skim the book and misremember half of it. But if you have to go up one degree at a time and get tested on things and perform the ritual and do it and everyone's double checking your work, you have a very high fidelity of information transmission and, uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating that that has gotten distorted. And I think that's the weird era that we live in now with propaganda where, no, I'm not, you are, is a totally dis- destabilizing technique. Completely. And it's also people taking things at face value, mm-hmm. like reading things and seeing things and it's all emotion based. Yeah. Instead of stepping back and finding a way to balance logic and emotion. And even the fact that the Bible is such a sacred text to the Masons, the metaphor encoded within the Bible is one of the most magical texts that you'll ever read in your entire life. And when you ascend through different levels of consciousness, if you can look at it with an alchemical lens and see the meta narrative in it, it's unbelievable. How so? So one of my favorite, favorite uh, metaphors from the Bible that I'll impart, and this, this is um, take it with a grain of salt, whoever's listening. So if you look Take at the, everything with everything. a grain of salt. Yeah, salt listening. is good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, have salt Always. on hand yeah. at the table, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So All spiritualism should have that as like the, like the instructions. Yeah, must like, have salt. Do not take on empty mind. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> a proper balance of salt and a little bit of saltiness, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. um, so thinking about Jesus, right? The fact that Christ was crucified on Golgotha, mm-hmm. Golgotha's skull mountain. He was crucified in between two thieves. You're on Skull Mountain in between two thieves. Don't let your eyes deceive you of the truth. Oh, interesting. And you look at Christ as your third eye. And the fact that Christ, if you look as a metaphor, died at 33. 33 is the highest level you can ascend to in Freemasonry. There are 33 vertebrae in the spine. And if you look at the Kundalini energy, and Paramahansa Yogananda talks about this a lot, the idea of Jesus's meta meta story for mm-hmm. ascension into Christ consciousness. Wow. I love, I, I think that's one of the things that we humans do that's so fascinating is we just spin these stories and then we find more and more layers and meaning. And the question for me, at least personally, of like, is that intentional? Is that baked in? Or are we finding it? It's kind of irrelevant because it's definitely there if you want to look. Yeah. It's kind of a Taoist perspective too, where it's like it is and it isn't all at once. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's... um. There's the. Have you ever seen that video about um, Back to the Future predicts nine eleven? Probably in passing. It's like it's 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 interesting because it's kind of making fun of the other internet conspiracy videos of like, oh, we're gonna like freeze a frame and zoom in on some detail in the background, but then it becomes this really beautiful meta meditation on what like our mediated world means and how even things that aren't intentional these events have these echoes through media so you can find these connections like i could probably tell you a story about how the ducktales movie is a is a metaphor for illuminated consciousness if i really wanted to <laughs> smoke enough weed and watch it enough times <laughs> totally but i think that's that's kind of the interesting thing about art art being so subjective and again with the oracle cards looking at it as a symbol to tell a story mm-hmm. you can create a story from anything and is it if it's something that you find useful and connects you to a more loving awareness. Who cares if it's DuckTales or Roseanne or whatever? You know? Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. You, yeah. You can shuffle that deck a million different ways and find a million different stories. And every individual is going to look at those cards and see what's going on in their world, in their heart. Completely. How do you, how do you feel about this decade that we're approaching right now? So um, I had mentioned before we started broadcasting mm-hmm. that uh, I had dabbled in channeling before. Mm-hmm. So... Back in the summer of 2014, I really got deep into channeling and it started subtle. It grew, it grew, it grew, and it became almost all consuming. Mm -hmm. And in that time, again, taking things with grains of salt, taking what's useful, discarding what's not, a lot came up about 2019 being a year of great change. Did you have a specific entity that kept popping up or Mm -hmm. was there a cast of characters? It was a specific entity that I worked with. Yeah. And, but they always ask the name. Lemuel. Lemuel, cool. And, but they always, Lemuel always referred to itself as we. Yeah. So a collective. Um, But they spoke often about this year being a year of great change. And there'd be a lot of fires and a lot of transformation and a lot of darkness before we enter into a place of pure awareness. And this was 2014. Right. And I look at this year when the fires of the Amazon, Mm. the fires of like just California, California, all of it, and just everything that's been happening in the collective underbelly of our subconscious and culture. I had a lot of fear going into the year, but I think that this was a year of initiation into something new. Mm -hmm. 2020 to me, I keep calling it crystal vision year. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So just being the fact that we have two months left in this decade 
clearing out all of the darkness and really yeah. coming into relationship with what you want to bring into the decade ahead feels really important. Yeah, that and kind of tower to star transition. Yeah. Yeah. And fire, what is fire? Fire burns, fire cleanses, fire destroys, but can also create, it can also purify. And it's devastating what's happening to the world. But what can we do if we are these readers and writers and storytellers? What new story can we tell? So how do we clear our consciousness to tell bigger stories, greater yeah. stories? I've uh, I was reading the history of New Age, New Age culture. This like academic overview that was written, I think, in the '90s, and it was so interesting because some of these communities, like the Findhorn community, and some of these other people who were the ones that were really pushing that idea of like the age of Aquarius is upon us. They were describing their new age paradise. And I'm reading this and I'm like, this sounds kind of like a, a, a post-singularity dystopia where it's like and information will just be available to everyone. And I'm like, yes, but it's very overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of get the impression that we're approaching a weird point in time that a lot of people have been having visions and ideas of. And the interpretation just depends on, you know, is this a biblical apocalyptic frame of reference is this a techie singularity frame of reference or is this a new age optimistic frame of reference it's probably going to be a bit of all of them but it's it's definitely i'm excited yeah and i think the thing too it is a little of all of them and it's a lot stranger than anybody imagined oh yeah so thinking about you know when the, the election with trump happened and how pepe became this like symbol right of chaos and whatever else yeah keck, and the, keck, meme, the yeah, meme the meme god yeah, yeah the egyptian meme god and they got all into that number stuff too completely but now Pepe is coming back too with what's going on with Hong Kong and all the riots that are happening. Pepe has become this symbol of resistance against oppression. Whoa, I did not <laughs> heard that. That is amazing. It's unbelievable because what had happened in these riots, they're writing it's censorship yeah. and all these things. There was a little girl in the riots and she wound up getting sh shot in the eye and going blind in her eye. So now they have this blind Pepe representing resistance and fighting against authority. The one-eyed frog The one-eyed frog king. <laughs> like here we are in biblical times and it's raining frogs and people are smoking toads and what is going on? <laughs> and it's so funny to think of like the poor person who has absolutely no context trying to make sense of this all. And they're, they see, it's like the 12 monkeys thing where yes. it's like, what does 12 monkeys mean? And you're like, oh, it's not what you thought it was. And the idea that someone's like, I see a one-eyed frog and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, that was a, a cartoon that became a Nazi and then became not a Nazi. A symbol of resistance. He's a chaotic, chaotic neutral. Yeah. I, 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 I love hearing that Pepe's coming back because I fucking hated that shit of like people are so quick to let go of something. They're like, it's tainted. Like you can't do the OK symbol. It's tainted. And I'm like, no, no, the Nazis don't get to lick our thing and then it's theirs forever. Like, no, fuck no. that. Guard your symbols. Completely. Keep them yours. Poor Matt Fury, too. I know. I bet he's furious. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> no, he. he it, it's so hard because you can't do this stuff intentionally. Like, he tried to reclaim the character and then tried to have, like, a funeral for it. And it's like a single human trying to do one of those things just doesn't work in the same way as like an organic meme culture yeah. spawning and growing. But meme culture is so fascinating. Like all the stuff with the Epstein memes, have you been following this? I, how can you not? Yeah. It's just everywhere. <laughs> it's just like, and, and now there's this paranoia where I'm like reading a regular factoid and I'm like, where's, where's it going to slide in the Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill yeah. himself. And then on Fox news, somebody recently it was they were interviewing this guy and it was just on mainstream television. Then he's talking right. about this and he slips it in. He's like, yeah, hey, you know, Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> I know. 
it's a, it's a it's a fascinating world that we're living in where the, these boundaries are so fragile where ideas can permeate um that was something that i was reading about i think last year is how sex and reproduction are actually biologically speaking totally distinct and separate functions mm. and sex is the exchange of genetic information so a virus can exchange genetic information and be changed without having to reproduce. You don't have to have a mom virus and a dad virus and then the baby virus is the change. And we have that in our culture now where, you know, one company can have an idea and then another company is like, what a great idea. We'll continue to take that and do something else with it. And these things just work their way through all these Facebook groups and into the news and then back down into the the depths of some some image macro forum. Yeah, it's so strange. Something that also freaked me out about that stuff too. So I don't know if you've ever had the moment where you're, it feels like all of a sudden you think of a thing and then you get an ad for it. Yes. So what to trip you out about that is, you know, recreational paranoia is such a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Something I I dabble with all the time because they go deep down the rabbit hole, but they talk about, it's actually not them having technology that can read your thoughts. It's that because of your digital activity, they know you so well. It's almost like precognitive knowing that this is what you're going to be thinking of anyway. Have you heard about the spinner? No. So I just, I just saw this the other day and this is one of those things that like, I don't know if it works as well as they are advertising, but basically it's a service where you can target an individual with subliminal content. So you would say, okay, like, my wife i'm gonna target my wife with this thing and then they will you know when you're on cnn.com and there's all of those like bullshit celebrity weight loss tips like all of that like paid content they will put stuff into there that has headlines related to the thing that you're trying to incept them with and so they're going about their normal browsing and from every angle they're seeing this headline that's again and again like you know, move to Florida, like Florida is so great, move to Florida. And then your partner's like, let's move to Florida. And you're like, what a great idea that I didn't pay a website to make you think. Wow. And that's, yeah, I think, you know, there's so much magic that's behind us. That's very fascinating and important in all of these different religions that we should still continue to learn from. But there's magic that's being worked all around us right now that is is spooky it is i think media literacy is one of the things that you can really like a skill set to acquire just even knowing about these things having these conversations looking beyond the veil knowing what's sponsored content knowing what's being fed to you how do we yeah how do we start the media the occult media literacy for children's program (laughs) we'll get restart the masons and that'll be our like free lunches like you know come on in (laughs) starts basic with color number right shape yeah. And then goes up, up the grid right. as you ascend to different degrees of media literacy. Different meme, meme yeah. reading. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think we can use love to get through these, these times? To, so funny enough, um, for years people have told me to read A Course in Miracles, but I've always had a, a little bit of resistance towards yeah. it. I'm like, I don't know what I think about it, but I finally just bought it. Yeah. And they talk about miracles really just being a shift in perception from fear to love. Mm-hmm. So, using love for these times is not feeding fear through it. So looking at it as a lens where how can I find light in darkness? How can I take these things that I'm receiving and going through and experiencing and transcend them from the heart space instead of getting so lost in anxiety or depression or worry? Which is the the, the current that these things run in. I think that's, you know, a lot of the analysis that's coming out now is saying 
those are the things that social platforms amplify and those are the signals that are the most easy to exploit and that's what the um, different disinformation campaigns are all fear-based completely and they're like the archons feeding off of our energy oh, they <laughs> very lick Gnostic. it up yeah. they drink our milkshake <laughs> got the skexies drinking our essence yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, everyone's trying to stick their their straw in our juice that's yeah. for sure so don't give don't give them the adrenochrome give them <laughs> don't yeah. give them any of that shield yeah. your bubble with some love love energy well i'm taking space. lots of grains of salt so whatever they're yeah. getting out of me is going to be high sodium <laughs> give them an archon heart attack <laughs> high blood pressure um let's get into our magic spell perfect so let's figure out how what's a little thing that our audience can do that's like you know like a nice little concrete thing to to bring this love into their life and maybe Mm. give them some some dank love for dark times dank love for dark times i love it um patent pending don't steal (laughs) (laughs) so okay thinking about um the ideal of keeping a feather heart Mm -hmm. so how do you Rid your heart of the things that weigh it down. Coming into relationship with density and looking at it and giving it love too. Uh, There's a really beautiful book by Yumi Yumi Sakagawa called The Illustrated Guide to Becoming One with the Universe. Mm. And one of the excerpts is to invite your demons over for a cup of tea. Ooh, I like this. So So, so how do you do that? So think of something that you're really afraid of and look at it. And see what it is about that thing that may need love and how you can give it that. You know, um, Trump is such a polarizing character. Mm-hmm. He's so interesting. Mm-hmm. But at one point he was a baby. Mm-hmm. At one point he was an inif- infant. Yeah. And in that infancy he was pure and needing of love. So how can you take these things that come off as these like big, evil, polarizing characters and transmute them by looking to what space they were at when they needed the most love and visualize that and give that to it. I love the idea of doing that quite literally like with a cup of tea. Like I think yeah, for all the tea, listeners, tea party. have a little tea party, pour yourself a cup of tea. If you need a recommendation, um, I think it's called Mint Magic by Celestial Seasonings. has a wizard on, on the box. So that's the one that I would recommend. Celestial seasonings, you can make your check out <laughs> to me. Just email me and we'll, we'll figure it out. But I love that idea of just like taking some time to sit and think about something that you view in such a negative lens um, and, and being able to see the other side of it. Yeah, give it a light heart. You know, yeah. for those who've seen Citizen Kane and the fact that in that classic film, his dying word was rosebud. Yeah. And this mystery of what is rosebud, what was it? It was his sled from when he was a little kid. When he was pure. Yeah. So. so thank you, Jen. Thank you. For more of Jennifer Sodini's work, visit evolveandascend.com or pick up a copy of the Amenti Oracle deck from any esoteric outlet near you. And to keep surfing the magical waves of this podcast as a ritual, I invite you to take a deep breath and appreciate the magic that found you and brought you into our welcoming ritual. This is the final episode of the first year of the podcast, which means that one year ago, you didn't even know this podcast existed and was working its magic to create the reality you're standing in now. So if you haven't yet, I encourage you to listen to our very first episode, our opening ceremony, so you can be fully initiated onto our wandering wizard path into a slightly better tomorrow.
And if you've already been initiated, then there's no better time than now to visit patreon.com slash this podcast as a ritual, where a sacrifice of $4.20 will help this podcast ascend into the next stage of its Pokemon-like evolution. Until next time, I'm your wizard, Devin Person Zane. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board.